Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 88, week 88, volume 88, number fucking 88. Hey gone guys, how's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Kynan of Diamond Construct, and that will be coming up later in the show. So let's kick things off like we did starting from last week, and that's with the new part of the opening of the show, and that is our album of the week and our single of the week. This week, there's two albums of the week, two that definitely need a spotlight and definitely need your attention. First one is Kublai Khan's new album, Absolute. Oh my fucking God. We're looking at a album of the year contender here that's so gritty, it's so beefy, it's so aggressive, and there's so much sexy fucking groove. Make sure you check out this Kublai Khan album, as I said, titled Absolute. Also, if you haven't yet, don't forget we had Matt of Kublai Khan on the show. That was episode 55. Make sure you go back and discover that as well if you haven't already. Our other album of the week, which is kind of more of an EP, it's by Mind Power and they have released Q4. Wow. Now, Mind Power have done something a bit interesting over this whole year. They've released four EPs Q1, Q2, Q3, and now we have Q4. And Q4 does not disappoint. Make sure you check these guys out. Outstanding EP. All of these together makes one release, and I've got to say, it's another album of the year contender. Outstanding guys, love every second of Q4. Also love every second of Q1, Q2, and Q3. Ironically, like the first album of the week, we've also had Robert of Mind Power on the show. If you haven't checked that out already, make sure you check out episode 77, but make sure also you support Mind Power get on your streaming and downloading devices, get into Q4 and get into the other ones if you haven't already. So let's get into the single of the week. And this week, the single comes from the band Left Behind. The song is called Peeling Skin. And it's also got a link to one of our albums of the week. Peeling Skin also features a guest spot of Matt of Kublai Khan. This song is rhythmically headbanging. You just cannot help but get into that headbanging groove. It's got a southern twang to it, and it's this really exciting lead-off single from their upcoming third album, No One Goes to Heaven. That album will be released November 15th through Pure Noise Records. If you haven't checked out that single yet, or if you haven't checked out Left Behind yet, this is the perfect opportunity to get into this band. If you want to know where that single is, it's on your streaming and downloading devices, but also if you check out our social medias, we've posted the artwork, and you can also find the music video for that track. So again, Left Behind, new album coming out November 15th. Make sure you peek at that single called Peeling Skin. The last thing we've got to touch on at the start of the show is any ratings, reviews, and feedback. We got a 5 out of 5 rating and review on our Facebook page from Cole. He gave us a 5, as I said, and he says, Great podcast, lots of in-depth conversations with some of my favorite people in metal. Love the Pick Your Poison at the end, too. Keep up the great work. Cole, thank you very, very much, dude. 
Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Thank you for the kind words. Thank you for the great feedback, but also thank you for the five out of five. And also thank you for taking time out to do so. Really, really appreciate it. It's invaluable to help the page grow and show people what we do ain't fucking shit. So thank you, Cole. We also heard this week from Wardorse92 on Instagram. Thank you for the feedback, dude. Thank you for opening up some dialogue. Thank you for letting me know what you love about the show and some things that you'd like to see happen on the show. The feedback is always welcome. Thank you so much for reaching out, Wardorse92. Stoked to have you on board as a recent listener and stoked that you're getting into the back catalogue and you're going to stick with us going forward. So guys, also got to take this moment to say, give us a rating and a review if you've got time this week. Help us out. Be like Cole. Just takes a second, whether it's Facebook, whether it's iTunes, podcasts, whatever it is, help us out with a rating and a review. Also got to take this moment to say, don't forget to share the podcast, whether that's verbally, tell someone about the show, whether that's on your Twitter, your Instagram, your Facebook, whatever it is, share it, tag us. Let us know that you're spreading the word of the Mosh Zone because when you spread the word, it helps us get out to more listeners. I have a very limited ability to get out to only so many, but when you guys share it, we get out to even more. So that's pretty much it for the start of the show. Let's kick into the part of the show we're all tuned into for. This week's guest is Kynan of Diamond Construct. First thing I've got to say, thank you so much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. It was a great chat. We get to know all about the man. We get to discuss about the Australian heavy music scene, which I really enjoy doing. Hopefully we'll be doing more of, but this was a great opportunity to do so. We also get to talk about releases, and it's just a really good in-depth conversation. That chat with Kynan is coming up now. Do you remember an artist or a musician that wasn't necessarily heavy, but that first brought you into music as a thing? Yeah, it probably would have been probably would have been Lincoln Park, I would say, when I was really young around at my friend's place when he sort of would put that on. It wasn't necessarily so heavy, but it was something that brought me into that rock world, I guess. What brought you to Linkin Park? Was it the fact that it was, I mean, how old were you at the time when you first heard that? Oh, man, I would have been like probably like nine years old. And it, it would have been the fact that like just my older friends were listening to it. And I thought like if I listened to that, I'd be cool as well. <laughs> we all so, did that though. Yeah, yeah that's it. And <laughs> like, I mean, little did I know it was actually really good music. So I'm glad I got into that. So you kind of get into that and then where's your, you know, musical journey go from there? Do you then start kind of delving into bands like Linkin Park or was a lot of the music yeah. you discovered to kind of shown to you? Um, well, I, I got into that and because my dad's a guitar teacher and he sort of taught me and my brother everything we know, he would show us bands that like guys would come in and, and learn off him they'd come in with CDs like from, you know, Prom Queen and bands like that, like some Australian bands after that, um, bands like Slipknot and Corn and all of that sort of thing. And um, so we get we get shown a lot just from everywhere around the world. And then 
I sort of got into heaps of that sort of metal to start with. And what what about that side of me- of music brought you in? Because apart from how you said at the start, it was you know the older kids listening to it, so it was a sense of belonging and being cool. But yeah, yeah. not everyone kind of gets into heavier music, especially things like Prom Queen and Slipknot and those kind of bands. What what really made you love it? I guess it was the guitar riffs because I was mm. starting to learn guitar and. Um, when I was, you know, as I started learning when I was about like six years old, but as I started to get a little bit better and I wanted to learn more technical riffs, I guess metal had the riffs that I wanted to learn because it was fast paced and like a bit dirtier and rock was sort of a bit easy to play. Hmm. Not, not bagging at rock. I think rock music's great. It was just, I wanted to find something that was a bit more technical. So it, it showed me a new pathway of of learning and and that's what really brought me to it. So obviously so obviously music is in the house, you know, as you said your your dad with guitars and yeah. what's he think about you, you know, starting to getting into this heavier side of music? Oh, he loved it. Yeah, he was um he was really pushing for it because he knew like he'd been in bands all of his life as well at, at a younger age and more rock bands but <clears throat> He, he loved the fact that we were starting to sort of get into some metal bands and um, to learn some heavier riffs. It, it meant that we were pushing ourselves to become really good at our instruments, uh, well, at least better. Like, we weren't very good back then, but, yeah, he, he loved it. So you with guitar, when did you decide that maybe that's not your kettle of fish and you were going to kind of look at doing the frontman kind of thing? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So I I actually started out originally in this band as a guitarist. Like mm. we sort of, we recorded our very first EP that no one really ever listens to. Into the Sky, um, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. the one. Um, we sort of recorded that in Sydney and I was the guitarist with my brother as the other guitarist. And after after we finished recording all of that and, you know, bands go through a lot of, things and people leave and stuff like that because it's not really their thing and um coming from the town that we do tare like there's not many people in the scene or um you know there's not many people that can scream or do any of that so i sort of just it wasn't the fact that i wanted to do it or you know guitar wasn't my kettle of fish like you said it was just the fact that no one else around could do it and i just sort of learned myself i would go to work and I would just put Northlane on in the car or Architects and because we needed a vocalist, I just kept going and just sort of screamed along to that. I was I was so bad at first, but after a while, I sort of said to the boys, like, look, I'm starting to learn how to do it. You know, like we, we're not playing any shows. Like I've got a fair while. I might keep going and sort of just do this myself. And in the end, we, we got a couple of practices together and I got the hang of it at first and we played our first few shows. I was really bad at the front man thing. I think, you know, I started like with having a few shots of Jack Daniels to get through it, you know, like any vocalist does at first. But um, after that, yeah, I, I was really drawn to it and I love it now. I wouldn't change it. So when you when you first, you know, giving it a go, screaming along in the car kind of thing, are you delving into any of the techniques and training that's online like the melissa cross stuff or are you just kind of winging it and adjusting yourself with what feels like it's working and what isn't yeah so 
I did look at all of that stuff online, like the Melissa Cross, like the art of screaming. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I looked at all of that, but I found for me, I, I learn quicker by doing um, mm-hmm. and trying. So all of this, the YouTube stuff online, they would explain, you know, the parts of the throat to to use and etc. Like all of that, and I I didn't really know how to how to access that. So putting it on in the car and listening to it loud and just adapting my voice to it, I found that was a lot better for me. It was just a it's just a thing of trying and doing. And then, you know, without going too fast forward, now with your voice, you know, are you learning that there's certain things you have to do to, you know, maintain your voice? Because you guys, you know, without fast forwarding, like I said, you guys are now getting out on the road pretty consistently. So is, yeah. are you got have you got something that you do that makes sure you're always ready for the show? Yeah, I guess I, I warm up a lot. Um at least, you know, for 10, 15 minutes before we line check or sound check or anything like that that we need to do. And um, obviously I don't – like I, I drink a lot of water in between. Um, and if it's, a, if it's a night where there's probably only going to be 150 people or something, I'm not going to give it my absolute all. Um, that's, that's one way of making sure my voice stays good. If it's a night where there's so many people there, like, you know, four or five hundred, I might push a little bit harder mm-hmm. and um, and it's, it's probably not good, but it's just a sort of, um, you get that boost of energy from the crowd and you sort of push a bit harder and then the next day sort of like, oh, I might go easy tonight. Have you ever lost but, it? Have you ever lost your voice? Yeah, yeah. So when we were recording um, our second EP, Event Horizon in Sydney, going back, um I guess back then I didn't really know how to look after my voice as much and I was used to recording myself at our own little home studio in Taree so I had the time to do anything that I wanted and sort of go at my own pace but when I delved into you know working with the producer and getting in Sydney and stuff like that like a bigger studio I didn't really know how to look after myself and I would I just you know push myself to the limit and in the first day I think i blew my voice out and we had like five days to record after that and oh. we sort of wait we wasted all of that money and time we just went back and tracked more guitars and filled in time like that but yeah it was that was that was annoying that's a learning curve though i mean as you said it is yeah and that's that's essential as you go along uh, go along is to learn and, uh, and adapt um just want to rewind a bit to the formation of Diamond Construct and also at the end of high school, you know, you mentioned screaming on your way to work. Music yeah. nowadays, realistically, unless you reach the size of Parkway, you still need an income. So at school, what were you looking at as a career? Was music more of a hobby or were you looking at maybe really going at music? What was the career path for you at high school? Yeah, that, that's a good question as well, I guess. Um, I, I focused a lot on two things in life, I guess, in school. Um, my main thing was was obviously music and my other main thing was sport. Like I played a lot of soccer and um, I was starting to get good at that. So I, I, I worked at Subway and, you know, just got my, myself off the ground like that and I would buy instruments and my musical gear from the like the work that I was doing there. Um but yeah, I was I was sort of pushing towards going to soccer and 
and um, working hard and that, I wanted to get signed to a club. Mm. So I, after after school finished, I immediately sort of um, relocated to England for a few months to try and do that, and that didn't work out. So as soon as I got back, um, I I knew that my focus was going to be music after that. I was very driven, so I I just went straight into the band and we we sort of formed. The band was already going under a different name with a few of the guys from Taree, and I joined that. And me joining that was sort of the catalyst of starting our first EP and renaming as Diamond Construct and reforming under the three members. That was me, my brother Braden, and Adam Kilpatrick, the drummer. Wow, go back, go back to the England thing. Fuck yeah! So you really where? Did, so you just uprooted yourself and went to England for a couple of months. Did you have tryouts? Like, what was the whole process with you for that? And when did it reach the moment that you're like, this is just not going to be it. I'll have to go back to Australia. Yeah. So it would have been like after I'd finished year 12, I went, I went overseas and I joined an academy there in Peterborough, which is an hour and a half North of London. Mm. And, um, I trained with them and got a, I got a trial at a place called Kettering FC, which was, um, sort of like a league two league one team. I can't remember at the time. And, um, it, you know, that wasn't, it didn't go like the best and like it always does. And a lot of players can sort of um, take that on and, and progress and keep going and all of that. But I sort of didn't have all the money in the world. And I realized after I didn't get that thing, like I trained hard for another couple of months and didn't really get much else um, in the way of trials and things like that for clubs. And it just sort of got to a point where it was either I, you know, started to move there and work there and mm. you, and sort of get myself off the ground and do that or or I would go home and do my other passion in life which was music and I was listening to metal the whole time while I was over there and sort of writing music on my laptop anyway and I, I think I didn't realize that that was always my calling mm. um, to do that so when I came back I just fully focused so hard on music and I'm glad I did. Yeah, it seems like it's kind of, you know, in a way it was a blessing in disguise, really. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So Wake up call. Yeah, but I mean, hey, not a lot of people would have the guts um, and determination to give that a crack. You know, they'd say that they love the sport, but they're probably not willing to put themselves on the line and go the distance to try like you did. Yeah, I guess so, man. Yeah, it's it's always good to try it in everything, I think. Um, hmm. Yeah. Well, you got to you got to give it a go, and if you fail, you fail. But at least you gave it a go. That's... Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, that's it. So let's get into you know you mentioned the formation when you came back, and you know adopting the name Diamond Construct, and you've also talked about that first EP that you played guitar on, Into the Sky. Um, yeah. What was what was the go for for you guys at the time? Was it literally you just wanted to get some music out there so that you could say to people? put us on a show, this is what we sound like? Yeah, I guess the whole goal, because like we, the, the dream was to become like a big band, I guess the goal at first was just get shows, get people to know our name um, and just get on touring and, you know, play as many shows as we can because that was what we loved doing. Um, but the end goal obviously was is what we're doing now and, and even further than that and, you know, international touring and all the rest, like the bands that you grow up listening to do. So 
at first, yeah, we it was hard to get shows. Um, you know, no one really wanted to take a chance on a Tari band that wasn't very good, and I don't blame them. So we, you know, we had to put on our very first show just to get people to sort of know who we were, and that was our first show was in Tari with um, a few bands like Staunch from the old Newcastle scene. Um, and, yeah, we sort of went from there. We played a couple of Brisbane shows at Crowbar with not many people there, and then we started to play um, Hombre Records, which is, was in Newcastle, which became Drone, and then after that it sort of shut down. So that was like the main venue in Newcastle at the time, which was the closest venue to us that people went to. Um, and we met a lot of bands from there, so that sparked a lot of connections with guys in Newcastle and around the surrounding areas. And they would sort of start to believe in us as guys, not as musicians at first probably, because we weren't as good as them or we weren't established in the scene yet. We we were just nice guys and we loved what we did and they could see that. So they would throw us a bone here and there and put us on a show or two. And, and that's sort of how it, it, it began. Did you ever, I mean, that period for a lot of bands can make or break. I mean, you're either going to just keep trying to get on shows and play shows to empty rooms, which, you know, a lot of every band goes through that stage. But, you know, it takes the willingness to keep persisting. Was it a case of no matter what you were going to do this? Like the determination must have been pretty high during that time because it didn't take long for you guys to kind of ignore Into the Sky and really bring out event horizon which really felt like uh, an imprint for you guys going forward yeah I, I guess at the time like you said like the determination was there it always has been so the, the rooms were empty and our music wasn't great and we we sort of started to go back to the drawing board about our whole sound and um, we we played with a lot of bands um notably a couple of bands that we sort of played with um, like there was a, of Divinity from back in the day and the sign of four, they were good mates of ours and they all had breakdowns and they were all heavy and, and all of that. But we also liked the, the other side of music, like architects and stuff with a lot more riff based music. So we went back to the drawing board and we sort of wrote a lot of event horizon and we just started to play it really early. Like we, we played it long before it was released at least a year or more um, before it was released. So that was how we started to build up playing shows to at least maybe then 30 people, 40 people, 50, and it, it grew from there and started to get maybe an opening show for Justice for the Damned or something. Um, and it, that was the stage where we sort of started to think, okay, we can record this now and we've got something that people may at least think is all right. Um, and, and so that's, that's how it started then. We, we just pushed through the barrier knowing that we had something better in the better in the pocket to give to people. And that, that Event Horizon EP too, it, it felt like it was well-received. So what you said, you know, something better in your pocket was kind of clearly seen by people in the, the heavy scene, Australia-wise. Um, in that EP-wise, were you guys, you know, spending a lot of money to make that, what it was because it felt like there was a, a lot of time and effort in that recording because that recording doesn't sound sloppy. It still holds up. Like, it's well-produced. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, 
we're still happy with it all. Um, we, we put a lot of money into it, pretty much everything we had. We were working, you know, as much as we could and obviously playing as many shows as we could, making zero dollars, like we weren't getting paid for any of these shows at this stage. Um, so we put into that EP, I'd, I'd say about 14000 just for the recording. Because, yeah, I know. It's It seems silly at the moment and it like it's a lot of money to look back on and but we're we're sort of glad that we did because it it made people take us seriously mainly because of the um the promotion that you know you get out of just being in a studio and filming yourself doing all of these things and it it may sound a bit wanky but it's like people have to see you do these things to make you look serious so that was the main point well i mean also it this is something that I think is very tried and tested with anything that you spend money on. You get what you paid for. So if you yeah. only spent $400 on the recording and mixing and all of that, it would show that you only spent $400. So yeah, it sounds like a lot of money, but also that's part of the reality of releasing something that sounds really good through your stereo. You have to spend the money. Yeah. Absolutely, I hundred percent agree. Um, and yes, with you know, you mentioned in there, you know, filming uh, what you're doing and kind of like self promoting. Um, you guys always, and I think you still are. You're all, you're a big promoter of yourselves. Is that something that has taken a bit of learning to do? Because there's a there's a sense of social media where you need to make your presence felt but you don't want to over flood people with your presence. So you don't want to just post for yeah. the sake of posting. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, it took a long time for us to get good or savvy at the at that game online because, you know, we, we've never been about that. Um, we're not like people with, you know, egos or anything like that. Like we don't want to be like, oh, look at me. And like we don't come from that sort of place. Like we come from a place where – we just love doing what our thing is and if people love it, then they'll be drawn to it. But we quickly found out that if you're not doing that, people won't know what you're up to and they're not going to really care because in this modern world, everyone's posting about themselves. Mm. So we, we, we got better at it and we posted about stuff and I think we sort of learnt along the way, mainly from people around us. We had a, we had a big help from a lady called Kate Williamson um, who – was around at the time for a long time. She sort of took over some social media and taught us a lot of things. And our producer, John O'Peters, um, who produced um, in, uh, Into the Sky and Event Horizon, he was sort of like our, our guiding light for a long time. And he was like always on our backs, like you need to post this, you need to get better at this, this and that. So um, even though that they don't work with us anymore, their sort of legacy is stuck with us along the way in terms of online and social media. And it's an important thing to have learnt because a lot of people don't learn about it. Yeah. It's it, it's really good to see that you guys have had that mentorship and, you know, guidance. Um, an interesting time around Event Horizon, I think, was you guys showed that what you still have today is you're a band that can sit on any bill. You're not a band that is pigeonholed. Um, and I don't mean it in a bad way, but you're not a band that is only playing shows with bands that are breakdowns, but you can play that yeah. show. 
And then you can go and play a show with a band like Polaris um, or In Hearts yeah. Wake, uh, Gideon. Um, is that something that you guys, when you play, you find that you have to adjust what you're doing per lineup? And what I mean by that is, are you adjusting your set to be catered to the audience you're playing to? Um, well, we haven't had to do that too much because. Like you said, we found that we can sort of fit in to the vibe of the show at least, depending on because our our energy and our vibe of how we portray ourselves as Diamond Construct live sort of sits with a lot of the Australian scene of what's coming through anyway being toured. But um, we are going to start to cater our sets to that as well. Like if we were, say, because we've got the Wind Waker tour coming up in November, we might play a couple of the songs off the album that are a little bit softer or have a bit more chorus vibes um, to sort of cater to their fans and Diamond Construct fans as well, which I think will be great for the marketing of that. And, you know, when we play these confession shows next week, we're just going to slap out all of our breakdowns and sort of um, and go from there. I think the vibe for that would be a lot better to do that. Yeah, just so yes and no. Yeah. Do you do you guys have you ever count, gone onto an, a a gig and found that you've had to fight to win over the crowd? I mean, that's something that um, I think some bands come across. Definitely, um, we've played a lot of shows that we have to fight for the crowd to um, to even give us a look in and. That that's a challenge, and it, it actually makes me like a, bit, a lot better at my craft as a frontman is is winning over the crowd. I I like that as a challenge. I, I'd rather go to a show and there be a challenge rather than you know everything be easy. Because when I go overseas or anything like that, it's not going to be easy. So I need to learn now, and um, I see it as a blessing in disguise. But there's been shows where we would get to there and. The, the crowd is pumping and we're like, oh, sweet, it's going to be a good show. And because we're not, you know, because we're not pigeonholed in a certain sound, people might be like, oh, look at them. they got like a singing chorus and they'll just fold their arms and not. Ugh. And, you know, they'll do that or something like that or it might be the other way around. They'll just be like, oh, well, this is way too heavy for me or something like that and no one will move or, or whatever. It doesn't happen much anymore, but it, it used to sort of happen when we were getting off the ground. Um it still happens every now and then. I guess it happens for every band, even if you're a big band. You play a festival, like you may not even fit that and no one really cares about who you are. So it happens to every band and we're, we're not too fussed about it because we still play a lot of very good shows that everyone is vibing and bouncing from the get-go, So yeah, I think good. I think the shows you guys have been doing since the Submerged single in 2018 really seem to... I think you're probably not coming across that now, really. I'd be surprised if you do. Yeah, we, we still come across a couple, but, yeah, like you said, I, I guess each single that we brought we brought out back then, it helped us along the way to get um, better shows. Like the Paradox single in 2017 was a massive catalyst for us getting um, heaps bigger shows. Like that one got us, like the Parkway support show and, um, Ocean Grove support, like Saviour support, make them suffer support after that, and all sorts of big sort of Australian band supports. And then after that, sort of Submerge came through, and and that's what gave us, that's what pretty much got us uh, either signed or you know 
playing with a lot of bigger bands like local bands like Justice and Our Fools Tour and the Polaris shows and all sorts of things. So what that, was, that helped us. What was the thought behind dropping um, the single like you did, Submerged, kind of single standing, you know, it's on its own kind of thing. Was that... Yeah. Was there a thought behind that or was it a case of you just wanted to make sure um, you were giving people something to listen to, some new music? Um, well, we yeah, we realised that we are working on the album, right, and every song was written and done, but we knew that Submerge was going to be the first single pretty much when we wrote that, and I wrote that song, I think it would have been like early 2016. Yeah, it's it's an old song, man. Like a lot of them are on the album. We we worked on that for a long time, but um, and it virtually stayed unchanged that song. And we knew that a song like that that just came so easily to us. Like it had to be, it had to be a song that we could vibe with, and we still love playing it. Like so, we we put that one as our first single, and we had nothing released since Paradox, I guess. So we we thought, okay, let's you know, let's shop this around or, you know, and, and get this out to people. Um, and by that stage, we'd already shown the album to Ash Hull and Josh from Grayscale Records and because we were recommended to them from Polaris and um, the guys in Justice of the Damned. So we were already in talks with them and they had gotten to us and was like, you know, you need to get something out. So we had put that out hoping that it was going to be sort of the first single to roll out our album. but in in retrospect, getting the album together and finished with another music video and all this other sort of stuff with merch bundles and that, it takes a long time mm. when you do it properly. And it wasn't supposed to be just a standout single. It was supposed to be, you know, oh, okay, a couple months later you get another single and maybe another one. But it was just the fact that we weren't as quick as releasing our album as we had liked. But it, it still worked. It worked great, and um, you mentioned in there, you know, the Grayscale link-up. Um, with the current landscape, being on a label is kind of becoming a dying thing. Um, did you think about maintaining being an independent band, um, or was a link-up with a label like a must-see for the band? It was always a must-see for the band, Um it, it's the reason of sort of why we started is to is to get signed and you know and do everything after that which is international you know releases and recordings and traveling and all of that stuff but you know and signing to multiple labels but um i i saw i saw it as a necessity for our band because we've always been a band that has focused so hard on our music but we've always needed help connecting with big promoters and and things like that or, you know, some release ideas here and there. Like the Grayscale, they're really savvy at doing all of that because obviously they've got Alpha Wolf on their label and other big bands that are paving the way now for so many Australian bands to come through. So all the ideas are there and all the whole basis is there. Ash knows pretty much everyone in Australia to book a venue. Um, so I thought that's the label for us. Like we have to be with them. And luckily enough, we we sort of got that, um, if you want to call it fate or luck or whatever, we, we connected with them. And after that, we've been given so many good opportunities to play in front of like new crowds and great bands and stuff like that. So it's it's going really well. And 
I, I did see it as a necessity. Also, the thing about Grayscale that um, anyone, you know, we have a lot of listeners outside of Australia. So, you know, Grayscale is very much a family, it feels like, from in Australia. You know, the, the bands that are on the label, but also the way Ash and Josh run things. Was, was that also why you wanted Grayscale? Or, you know, did you think about labels like Resist and things like that? So, I guess... Being a lot outside of Melbourne and and not living in Sydney either, I guess I didn't really know about the extent of what the Grayscale family was like before we had connected with them. Um, so, to be honest, I wasn't looking at that as like that was an appealing thing. I, I just knew that the bands on the label worked hard and they were going somewhere and that was the main thing that I wanted to work with them. Labels like Resist, they already had you know polaris on there and i don't think they would want another sort of sounding band that is just a lot smaller and probably not as good as them so we we didn't we didn't look to resist or anything like that we looked straight towards grayscale because of their work ethic and once we had gotten into it we had seen how much of a family it is like all the bands chat regularly in like in a page that we've got and all the bands look after each other and give each other advice. And, you know, we talk to each other as mates on, on Facebook through messenger all the time and go to each other's shows and just pop up when we can. And it's, it's a really good family, but yeah, I had no idea about the extent of it when I, when I joined. It's, it's been a perfect um, link up. I think, as you said, you know, the ethic, the discovering that it's a family, but also the opportunities. Um, I want to talk about that, you know, the album this year, the the self-titled and the process that I know it took for you guys to get it finally finished. You know, you m- mentioned a little bit before. Um, can you go through the writing process and how long you guys spent putting it all together? Yeah, so we sort of, we've worked for a long time on this album. Um the first song was written in like 2000, the end of 2014, um, start of 2015, and it's one that we've played since then. It's called Wildfire on the album. Ooh, yeah. So that so that one sort of sparked the sound of what everything else to come was going to sound like. But um, we even though that we'd had Event Horizon released in 2016, like some of those songs were really old again. So it's just sort of it's I know it's hard to get around the timeline of things, but songs were being worked out and not recorded on event horizon because of certain reasons it didn't fit like they were too new they weren't finished so going past that we we were still working on a few tracks then and i like got rid of them all and we wrote over a hundred demos for this self-titled album um yeah a lot of lot of music like hours of music and riffs um and we sort of you know continued writing as many as we could and once we sort of found a general vibe of the album it moved around a lot it moved from like at one stage it was going to be half melodic half you know riffs like architecty kind of stuff with post rock in it and then it moved to really really heavy stuff and then we brought it back we dialed it back to our sound with some more choruses after that and we sort of found a lot more of a balance and that that happened probably about halfway through 2018. Um, so, yeah, we worked a long, long time on it. We would um, the process of it was like we would write a demo, 
um, on guitar, on the computer, record some riffs, put some, you know, superior drummer behind it and add some layers and some samples or whatever we wanted. And, and then I would go away and do like a whisper demo after like the boys had been shown of what was happening. Um, and then I put a whisper demo on it, like, so I could conserve my voice or, you know, not have to work three hours tracking something. I could just get a quick idea down and I'd show it to Braden first. And he would either say like, Oh, it needs work here or he'd straight up be like, that's, that's amazing. Like, I love that. And we'd roll from there. We'd put it in the bank, you know, as a whisper demo, just keep it there like that. And we'd keep going. We probably had about 20 or 30 with whisper demos on it. And it was just a matter after that of finalizing them, like recording real vocals, re-recording them with different sections, um, culling them down to maybe 20 songs that we liked, then 15 and, in the end, we recorded, I think it might have been 13 or 14 for the album. And, and yeah, so we just culled it down and, and that's what we ended up with. You guys, you, your process feels, feels, feels like it's, are you, you, do you guys very self-analyze, self-critical? Are you kind of perfectionist? And I don't mean that in a negative way at all. Do you, do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because that's quite a process. That's a really in-depth process. I don't think a lot of bands would do that. That's really in No, yeah. Yeah, I guess a lot of bands work differently, but like you said, yes, we are very self-critical. We we go away and we will listen to a demo 50 times, and if we're not in love with every second of audio in that, we'll go back and change it. Some of the demos of that album had, you know, 17 or 18 different demos, no lie, but some of them had maybe two or three demos. It It all depended on the vibe of the song, and if something wasn't working, we would work to fix it, and that's why we took three years to write the thing, but... Some of the songs literally took one afternoon to write and, and that's all that would be. And we knew that that was going to be a banger on the album. So is the process of, is long. Is part of that process also the, you know, the pressure and expectation that, you know, you don't want to just release something for the sake of releasing something? Yeah, definitely. We don't, we've never wanted to release something and for it to be taken as half-assed or you know, run of the mill or just like, oh, yeah, I've heard that a million times or anything like that or, you know, mediocre. We sort of want people to at least hear it and talk about it or either they hate it because it's not their thing or, like, they love it because they're into Diamond Construct. And I think we're sort of honing in on that craft a little more is, like, fans of Diamond Construct will really love Diamond Construct for what it is. But if you're not a fan of it, that's all right too. It's not going to be your cup of tea because it's it's very intense. Did you? What were your expectations upon release? I mean, what did you want to happen with the release, and what did you kind of gauge from the release? So yeah, I had I had goals for the release. I mean, everyone does. Um, we sort of wanted to do more touring. That was the main thing, um, and we got that, so that was good. One of the goals was, you know, um, get like maybe 100,000 views on like a YouTube video or something. That hasn't happened. But, I mean, I think in this modern world it's sort of hard to do that um, where things are more based on Spotify and stuff like that. So our goals then switched to Spotify, which has been good. I think we've got like half a million streams on the album, um, which we're stoked with. Um, So I guess then the goals will come from that and the next goal will be like all right now we want a million streams on like the next thing we do or something like that but um 
we're, we're pretty happy with how it eventuated. Um, getting new merch and everything that comes with the band was a, was a goal, and just mainly the seeing the reviews online was was pretty incredible. Uh, I didn't expect people to be into it so much or into the lyrics as much. That was a really good thing of the the review. I had, I had no expectation of what people would think about those. I thought people would talk more about the the riffs and the songs as a whole, but a lot of reviews were just mainly about like the lyrics and and what the vibe was of the song, and that's really cool because I did work long and hard on those lyrics, and they do come from a really personal place and. I think a lot of people can sort of connect with that, even though that they may not have been through the same things that I'm talking about, but they can vibe with it because it's something that everyone in the world goes through anyway. Yeah, uh, you, you've touched on something I wanted to ask with the, those lyrics. They are very uh, personal and upfront and honest. And when it came to getting them on the album, are you ever nervous about putting yourself out there like that because it is a very um, opening, open thing you're doing. You are getting a lot of things out there. Definitely. Um, you fit the nail right on the head. I mean, I think anyone would be stupid not to be nervous to put themselves out there, um, but I think that's a good thing. I, I was extremely nervous with the finished product of when I read back on these lyrics and I was like, am I giving away too much about myself? You know, because... You know, I, I am just a normal guy like you or me or anyone out there. Like, I, I am happy day to day and I, I do things. But I've been through a lot in life. So, like, the closest people in my inner circle have been to hell and back. Um, and, you know, it is it is nerve-wracking putting that stuff out there. But I think I'd coded it well enough that no one would be able to know the details about anything that has happened. Um, so that's that's a good thing. I was happy with that because I don't really want to just go out there and be like, hey, you know, this, this, and this, and this is why this and this, like, because people won't get that anyway. Like, I wanted to code them well enough so that, you know, you, you feel the emotion from what is happening and the people can just vibe with that. Do you feel like that's part of the reason you guys have, you know, the following you have and that that is also growing, that following is because it is realistic you know, kind of lyrical content? I think now it is, yeah. At first, no. It was at first when we started the band, obviously, it was just about getting off the ground and our live presence and, you know, who could care about us as guys and like we were mates with everyone. But it sort of evolved. And, and now I'm noticing more and more people coming up after the shows to the merch, te- to the merch desks and coming up and being like, man, like I really vibe with the lyrics. Like they're getting me through like a hard time right now or like they have gotten me through a hard time and it really does like make me feel warm inside like and I, I do tell the guys like how much it, it does affect me it's um it's really nice to hear that people are getting into the band more and more because of what is said on that album and it makes me a bit proud of it which is good yeah fuck yeah it, oh, I think I think it's sick man like I, I'm, I connected with it as well and I think it's Something to tip your hat to, without a doubt. Cheers, man. Um, Thank you. Also, want to talk a couple other things before we look to wrap things up. And one is, you know, looking at the Australian scene now. You guys, through your hard work and through the music that you have produced, 
you are now becoming a name that is touted. Everyone knows the name, whether they like it or not. They know the name, and you guys are popping up on bills. You know, you look and you see, you know, Born of Osiris and Chelsea Grin, there's Diamond Construct. You know, Make Them Suffer, there's Diamond Construct. Um, yeah. For a band like yourselves, how do you maintain the determination to stay hungry, to push yourselves? Because surely you don't want to get to a stage where you go, well, we've opened for Chelsea Grin, and then you know, kind of get set in your ways. You know, how do you stay yeah. determined and hungry for it? Yeah, no, that's that's good. Um, I guess in a few words, like we're always going to be hungry and um, we we want to get to the next stage after that. I think these, these are all just stepping stones um for us and i'm you know it's always chasing smoke like you're never content with what you've got as as selfish as that sounds it's more so for the rest of the guys too i want them to flourish and i want our careers to go ahead so i want i want us to be able to play internationally and supporting you know a band over in europe and i want to be all over their bills too and i want to be over in usa and and all of that so i guess that's what keeps me going um it is hard like it's not for everyone doing this lifestyle. I can see why a lot of people sort of give it up in the end because it is lonely out there on the road. You see the same four guys, five guys, whatever you got in the band every day. It's, there's tense times. Um, things aren't always good. Like the money's not good. And I can see why a lot of people would lose their drive and motivation. But the thing is I'm looking past that and I'm seeing the rewards that will come from it. And I've seen the rewards that have already come into this band. And I'm like, well, if it's getting better and better now, think about if we keep pushing this hard, think about how much better it's going to get for us. And, you know, we won't have to work shitty jobs in our daytime and we won't have to do other things like that. Like it'll all be there for us because we've worked for it. So I guess that's the drive that I look to each day. Also, how do you, you know, people outside Australia may may not understand it, but... How do you, as an Australian band, um, look to, you know, propel yourself out of the pond that Australia is? Because there's a sense of Australia that it's a small pond. I don't think it is a small pond. I think we have some amazing bands here. But it seems like the ceiling, like you said, the international stuff and getting to Europe and America, not a lot of bands can achieve it. They become big in Australia and that's kind of it. So how do you... How do you aim for that? Like, what are your realistic pushes? Yeah, yeah. Look, I agree with you. I think it's a big scene. Um, and I, I think it can go both ways. I think bands can go overseas and become big there and, and not get big at all in Australia. Um, like that has happened before. Mm. Um, or it's the other way around, like you said, how bands get big in Australia and they just constantly tour here, but they, they can't get overseas. Um, for us, as a realistic approach. We've always wanted to look at it like in a realistic way and be like, well, we're not going to go overseas now. We're not big enough. No one knows who we are. So we, we sort of want to conquer our, you know, conquer our field first, um, our local scene, which is what we've always sort of started. We started with New South Wales and now we're playing a lot more in Victoria um, and, and Queensland and sort of branch out from there. I mean, we haven't even been to Perth yet, which a lot of people want us to come over there, but it's just not viable at the moment with the cost it takes. But We'll get there um, and then sort of I want to conquer the Australian scene first and be able to do, you know, a couple of headline tours and maybe pull four or 500 people in a room 
um, no matter how long that would take. But that's that's the goal for that. And then once we sort of get to that, I think people will take us a lot more serious overseas. Maybe we'll be able to go overseas before then, and then when you come back, people will turn up because they think, oh, now they're serious, they're international. So it all depends on, I guess, what the guys tell us from Grayscale to do because I'll listen to them. But that's that's pretty much the realistic goal right now of how to get to it. What about the um, – you mentioned in there the Australian scene, um, and this is something I always like to hear from, from bands that are out there like yourselves playing regular shows, is – is live music still a big draw for kids? Like, um, are people, no matter what, turning up for shows? Or a lot of it is down to the lineup, the promotion, the time of the year, you know, all of that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think it's a mix of yes and no. I mean, there's there's no all 18, like, I mean, sorry, all ages shows anymore. Like, that yeah. scene has died. And I think it's going to be crippling for the scene that's coming next because. When, say, <clears throat> people like uh, like around the age of 23, 24, 25, everyone, had, everyone grew up going to all-ages shows. Um, but now that that's all gone, you don't have people following their local heroes anymore of their local bands that are coming out of like a small town and, and people would follow them to other shows or talk about them. And that's how people got the hype, I guess, back in the day and skyrocketed so quickly. But we don't have that anymore. So, I mean, that part of it's dead. Um, we need someone to sort of wake that up. But in terms of like shows, people will roll up if they love the, if they love the the lineup. I think, um, especially in cities like Sydney and Melbourne, where there's so much on, there's always going to be a gig on on the weekend where people can rock up to and and really love like one of the bands at least on the bill. So yeah, I mean, it's yes and no. I think it's situational, but um, it's probably everyone else has a different opinion, but that's probably just how I see it, I guess. Yeah, I think I think you hit hit the nail on the head with probably one of my biggest worries in there as well is the all ages shows. Um, it is kind of vital um, and was vital for the Australian scene. So hopefully we get that back. It really, yeah, it really will be good because there are a lot of kids that love heavy music that are fifteen, sixteen, um, and they can't yeah, get out the shows. Um, you mentioned also earlier about. You know, the road life, the touring life is, you know, it's not easy. Um, anyone who thinks it is is kind of kidding themselves. So as yeah, someone who's in a band nowadays, how do you balance the pressure and expectations of uh, pushing your musical career with also the pressure and expectations of maintaining a life, you know, of uh, being yeah. with your friends and family and jobs and things like that? Well, yeah, it's a hard balance. Um, yeah, it, obviously the touring itself is is work and people sort of think like, oh, you get to go around and sort of gallivant along the country and hang out with everyone and like, oh, man, there's like people froth on you because you're in a band. It's it's not like that at all. Like mm-hmm. um, anyone close to the scene would know like the real, the hard issues of it. Like, you know, you go to bed at 3 a.m. in a random hotel, wake up before checkout and move on you know and like you might not have showered you might have it depends on how much sleep you got you move along and you might do that for a week or, or less or more and then we come back and I go straight back into work because you know I've got a life too and I need to sort of support myself so I work at a surf shop and and do that in the day and um and in terms of balance in life like I, try, I have to try and see my friends from Tyree I've 
I see my girlfriend as much as I can. I go to the gym and try and stay fit. So it keeps me pretty much ticking around the clock. Um, I know for other guys, like in bands, they have other things that they like to do. Like they might be a bit more savvy in, in recording bands or doing artwork or something like that where they can sort of pick and choose their work and do it on tour and all sorts of things like that. And that balance is great too. But I think I've found my balance of I keep my life from the band very separate when I'm here back home. It's sort of my safe place, my haven and um, my recuperation time, if you will. And then when I'm getting up ready to go on tour, it's I switch over to that mode and I, I fully become that character. How do you also maintain having fun with the career? Because you got to be focused, like you said, and determined and all of that. But how do you also make sure you're not burning yourself out and hating this band and what you're doing? Yeah. To be honest, like a lot of it is hard and you do get burnt out. Um, I've been burnt out many, many times where I've, in the back of your mind, it sort of tells you like, you know, like, oh, just give up, you know, just quit it. Like it'd be so much easier just having a normal job or it'd be so much easier doing this and that. But it's trying to turn off that voice in the back of your mind. It's almost impossible for some people, but for someone like myself or the boys, like with a lot of drive, it's, you just got to see the end goal and see the light at the end of the tunnel and, and the good things about it as well. You've got to look at the good, like seeing, you know, hundreds of people in a room going crazy is it should be enough for a lot of people, but I know it gets sort of black and white sometimes and gray areas, but those, those are the best times. And that's what makes me look forward to doing it and all the burnouts and, you know, the tensions and all of that sort of thing that, that can come. I, I can take that, but, I can um I can deal with that just because of what I see at the end of the at the end of the day, as cliche as that sounds. No, it sounds spot on, dude. Um Yeah. Also kind of one of my last questions um is the record industry nowadays is a compl- complex scene. It's very weird. It's trying to figure itself out. Um, you know, making money as a band now realistically is harder than ever. Um, some of that is down to streaming. Some of that is down to, I think people don't buy merch as much anymore, but what my question is, um, for you as someone who is massively into music, but also in a band, do you see the record industry in a, it's going in a good direction or do you think we're not sure what we're doing directionally with the scene? So you mean like the record industry is in like, you mean like vinyls or you mean like as in the record industry as in our scene, like our Australian scene? I mean more as in the first part of it. So, you know, selling CDs, streaming's now yeah, a big yeah, focus. Yeah. Um, how do you sell merch nowadays? All of that stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, um, CDs for us like sell our shows. Um, they, they're really slow online because obviously people can just listen to you for like 0.0001 cent. <laughs> Or whatever it is, you know, like, um, and and that's fine. I mean, like, I'd rather people listen to us than not. I'm not going to be stinged like that. But in terms of vinyl, we haven't even done it yet because probably, you know, the call isn't there just yet. We're going to probably do a one-year anniversary of the album to do that and that will hopefully boost the album sales in record and bring it back up to sort of some charting areas. But, um, yeah, in terms of merch, we, we notice we sell a lot of merch. We often 
um, outsell like some of the bands that we sort of play with a lot of the time. But that's because I'm there the whole night and like a lot of bands will have like their own merch guy um, and and all that to do it. I think for me, I like to get out there on the ground and um, push it myself because one, I get to meet the fans and they like that. Um, and, and two, like it will attract them to come up and sort of have a look at our merch table. If, if the front man they've just seen is, is down there and, and willing to chat and sort of have five minutes with them. I think it's a lot more better than having, you know, six or seven beers out the back talking to the same guys every night. I, I just, I find it appealing doing both, but I, I find like a lot of bands would probably look at that and go, okay, get out there on the ground, sell your own merch, and maybe you'll sell some more. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's situational for each band. How how is merch sales at shows? Is it kind of ebbs and flows, or is it you know you will always consistently sell a few? It's always getting it's getting better and better for us as we're getting better merch, and I've become a lot more serious in. In, and savvy and what to order, you know, size-wise and everything like that and who our fan base is. But, um, you know, it's it's more so it's it's going steady at a lot of the shows. Um, it's getting better and better. You might get a couple of shows where you're like, wow, that was a bad night in merch. I mean, everyone does. You'd be lying if you said you didn't. But sometimes – and you can tell the good nights on merch because we've had – an incredible live performance and everything has just flowed perfectly and and you can feel the energy in the room and then when you get off stage it's like all right we're going to sell a lot of merch tonight not that that's all i care about mm. because that would just be stupid like if i care, if all i cared about was money i'd be doing something else but um it, you know you've got to you got to sell merch for a band to keep going if you've got to put fuel in the car you've got to have a bed to sleep in so that's where the money comes from and it, it does help when you we played a good show and you can tell where it where it's coming from. Everyone listening, uh, I tell you guys every week on this show, buy fucking merch. It is simple, twenty bucks. Um, might be less, might be a little bit more, but you know, support the bands that you enjoy. Like if you go to a show and you never heard of Diamond Construct before, and they put on a show and you're like, fuck yeah, that was pretty good. Go to the merch desk, grab something. It is very yeah. simple, but it's very helpful. Um, I think it it's something that we need to remind everybody that you need to support your local bands. Uh, it's really, really important. Um, dude, what we do on this show to wrap things up is we're going to pick your brain <clears throat> in a little segment to finish up called Pick Your Poison. Now, okay. <laughs> what I do here, every guest gets it. We just... You know, we have a bunch of questions here and you get two options and with your two options, you have to pick your favourite of the two. Now, okay. you don't have to justify your answer, but if you're worried that someone's going to listen and go, why the fuck did you pick that? You can justify why you made your choice. <laughs> All righty, this sounds good. All right. Um, and no guarantee they're easy. I've had, I've broken some people with these, so we'll see how All we right. go. Um, would you rather a pizza or a burger? Oh man, I love both, but I'm going to have to say burger. Okay. Would you rather smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Uh, crunchy. All right. Soft taco or a hard taco? Definitely soft taco. 
Okay. What? Definitely. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. For me, I just, I don't know, like, I'd rather the soft burrito parts of, like, the Mexican food. I, yeah. That's yeah. just how I've been brought up. Well, the hard taco, as soon as you bite into it, you do just make a mess. It's just, it's a given, yeah. isn't it? Um, yeah. Would you rather coffee or tea? Um, I used to drink coffee. I don't anymore, so I'll say tea. Uh, Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Definitely Indian takeaway, yeah. Um, that's my jam. I love Indian food. Just the vegetarian options are so much more. Uh, would you rather a beer or a whiskey? Definitely beer. We're Australian, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, would you rather cook at home or dine out? Um, I like to I like to cook at home because I've got my thing going and it's it's healthier that way and cheaper. Um, do you want to see a movie at the cinema or on your couch? In the cinema, um, yeah. My sound system is shit at home, so I, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't really want to watch a movie through the crappy TV speakers. I'd rather go and see it really good sound. Yeah. Um, do you rather the beach or the snow? Uh, beach, definitely. I'm a beach guy. I come from a beach area, so. So the, the next one should be simple. Would you rather surf or ski? Surf. Yeah, yeah. yeah Comes, I guess, good. with the beach, doesn't it? <laughs> Goes hand in hand, ironically. Um, yeah. PS4 or Xbox? PS4, yeah. Um, obviously, growing up with PlayStation, um, I played all the Final Fantasy games and all of that, and they were exclusive to to PlayStation. So that hands down. A cat or dog? I'm a dog person. Yeah. Good work. Yeah. I've got three, so I'm a bit biased. That's always the most nice. my, my most important one of all of these, that one. Um, yeah. Batman or Superman? I'm not into superhero movies, believe it or not. I, I really don't like them, but I didn't mind the Batman, like the Dark Knight movie. Mm-hmm. I, I actually really liked that one, and I liked the third one of that. So I'll go Batman. Uh, Rambo or Rocky? Um, I actually haven't seen either. <gasps> I know, I know. Oh, um, but I'm I'm gonna go Rocky because he sounds funnier. Okay, if you, if you're gonna take anything away from this today, is that you need to probably, well, you're not gonna be able to probably get new speakers, but you need to see Rambo. Like if you're gonna do okay. anything, just fucking watch Rambo. Watch the most recent one. He just kills a million people. Um, it's not very well yeah. written, but it's <laughs> it, it's popcorn movies. Um, yeah, nice. South Park or Simpsons? Um, the Simpsons. Yeah, grew up on that shit. Okay, Slayer or Pantera? Pantera. Ooh, easy on that one. Um, yeah. Rob Zombie or Marilyn Manson? Oh, I like both. I do love both, but. I'm going to have to go with Marilyn Manson because that's my mum's favourite artist since I was a kid and I've just been force-fed him and he's just amazing. So I'll go Marilyn. Uh, corn or Limp Biscuit? Corn. Yeah, they, they, they're definitely like my, in my top three favourite bands. Limp Biscuit are probably in my top ten, but yeah, Corn for sure. Um, offspring or Green Day? Uh, gr- I'm gonna go Green Day because yeah, yeah, that would 
they were sort of one of my favourite bands when I was like in year two or something like that, I think, way back in the day. Uh, Metallica or Megadeth? Metallica, even though I don't really like both of those bands. <laughs> <laughs> not, uh, no disrespect to them. I, I mean, like, yeah, they paved the way, but I'm just not into it. It's my, not my thing. Yeah, yeah, ditto. Um, okay, this one is an open one. Favourite English football team? Oh, that's Liverpool FC for sure. Oh no! Why? Oh, Why? Tottenham fan here. Oh, oh heartache oh. last year for me. Yeah, that's it. That's uh, it. I don't know why. The wrong team. Yeah, well, I, I picked. I grew up in England for a while, and that was the team I picked on television one night. But um, I can't get over yeah. how good your team is playing already this season. Oh, it's 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 incredible. I think it's just the roll off from last from last season I think it's it hasn't stopped it's getting better and better I can't believe it do you think you can maintain it enough to run the the league all the way to the wire again yeah I think I think look we'll be forcing for the league this time I think yeah we've got the Champions League in on the you know on our belts now I think we need to get the league and Klopp will be pushing for that Ugh. Yeah, look, I, I hope you win the league. I don't want you to win the Champions League again. I don't think Spurs are going to get anywhere near it again. But um, Yeah, you know. I, don't, I don't see them going near it. No, I, look, I'll be surprised if we make the top four this year. We're not playing very well. So it's the life yeah. of a Spurs fan. Um, always miserable. Um, okay, <laughs> last few. Would you prefer when playing a show to see stage dives going on or do you want mic grabs? I like stage dives, yeah. All right. If you go to a show, do you want to watch it from the mosh pit or up by the sound desk? Um, I I like both, um, but I'm going to have to pick from the sound desk for me if I'm watching a big band because I like to see everything that's going on. Um, we've got two left. Would you prefer to tour for the rest of your life or record for the rest of your life? Oh. Recording is stressful. I'm going to say... Touring. Okay, and the last one. If you were to own an album, one of your all-time favourite albums, would you prefer to have it on CD, vinyl, or on your phone? Definitely CD. I'm a CD collector myself, so me and my brother are huge CD guys. Um, hands down, CD. Fuck yeah. Um, dude, we've absolutely smashed that. That was excellent, dude. Really, really appreciate that. Oh, cheers, man. Cheers for the chat. It's always it's always great to have a chat about music. It's I'm always up for it.
So that was my chat with Kynan of Diamond Construct. And at the end there, you heard the band's tracks Night Terrors and Wildfire. Both of those songs are from the band's most recently released self-titled album. And this is the moment where I spark that interest, I spark that excitement in you guys to delve into the band that's been on the show. If you enjoyed the conversation, if you enjoyed the music at the end there, now's your opportunity Get online, stream it, download it. If you're into buying physicals, get online, buy a CD, buy a vinyl if they're available. Also, get some merch, buy a t-shirt, buy a hoodie. Or, if you're in Australia, or you're somewhere local where Diamond Construct are playing, get out of your house, go down to the show, support the guys, and enjoy this band in a live setting. Also, Need to take the moment to say thank you again, Kynan, for taking time to chat with me. Much love, much respect, much appreciated, dude. And look forward to touching base with you soon for a possible part two. So that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 88. Done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. 
Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.